Hi, this is Richard Clapton, and this is my interview with Hayden and B on In Excess Access All Areas. Well, hello and welcome to Inexos Access All Areas. My name is B, and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Inexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums and oh so much more. Hello, welcome to Access Access All Areas, episode 92, the podcast series that aims to dive deep in all things great about this band, have fun with a great community, and have fun with my co-league, co-host, B. How are you? Did you say that a bit weird then, or was that that I going weird? I paused a co-league. <laughs> I was going to go co-host, co-colleague, but uh, hello, B. How are you? Well, I was I was losing you with reception. <laughs> I am fine, thank you very much. Actually, until probably about 20 minutes ago, I was missing you, but like, I'm not now because we've been having a little chat about lots of things. So yeah. How are you? We've just chatted for about 40 minutes about, you know, uh, world peace, Elon Musk and miscongeniality <laughs> and everything. Yeah. Cricket, everything. Uh, Timmy, Timmy's cricket, cricket fandom. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> that was a hiccup, You've ladies and gentlemen. drink going on underneath oh. there. I had dumplings for dinner tonight, fresh from the South Melbourne market. <laughs> okay. We must mention that the beard is gone. Look, desperate and dateless, no date, whatever, beard's off. Uh, Valentine's Day here today. We should say happy Valentine's Day. We uh, we are we are recording. We will let it slip today. We are recording on Valentine's Day. We'll mm-hmm. be, this goes out a fraction later, but to all the lonely hearts out there and to all those in loving relationships, uh, we're not, we're not really doing a Valentine's Day episode this year. We did one last year and we may do one next year. But uh, we, I guess we're quite excited because we are going to talk a little bit about Richard Clapton Part 2 today. But uh, we are probably coming off a very controversial episode, B, where we had uh, Chicago, England, Amsterdam, Coffs Harbour, Newcastle, Melbourne all come together to fight the virtues of the Rock Hall of Fame. It must be said that it was a little bit of a passive uh, fight and argument there for well, a while. Well, uh, hang on, hang on. It was passive on air. After it was all, all the fights started, it was, it was, what do you call gloves off? It really was, wasn't it? Well, I was trying to put a bit of a firecracker of everybody there. I must say that uh, I do hats off to Laurie. She was my sort of soulmate there as we traded off on Devoisms. And uh, <laughs> uh, there was a bit of a running battle about Kate Bush. But speaking of Kate, I'm going to give a big shout out to Katie, mm-hmm. who uh, was basically, even though she's from England, she was like saying, well, Kate Bush can run up that hill and keep going. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, Manny was like, Pat Benatar, you know, she did nothing. And Whereas I like Pat Benatar's great and whatever there. So maybe, yeah, you're right, off air and afterwards in all our mm-hmm. forums, there was a little bit of angst. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, the band in excess weren't nominated this year uh, or part of the ballot. So kudos management, Sam Evans, uh, we love you, but please help the band get there. Let's take some moves this year. Yes. So everybody sign the petition because Jim yep. and the ba- uh, band, <laughs> Jim and his crew are doing um, lots on social media to um, yep. try and promote it. So um, we're trying to do our bit too. And one, look, and one other little thing with it, you know, we know there are some people who personally are not invested in that outcome at all. What we'd also say to you, a bit like Christmas time, a bit like the kids, you know, a lot of us, um, you know, it's all about the children and, you know, as opposed to Santa Claus coming to us. 
Well, you know, we want the Rock and Roll Hall, Hall of Fame Santa Claus to come to success because it is probably that, that career achievement uh, we think they deserve. So, you know, maybe not about your own joy or expression of joy, but if you do vicariously, you know, live through the joy of the band, we still think that you have a valuable part to play. Yeah, jump on board in any way you can to help spread the word. But B, I normally get to this a little bit earlier in our recordings. Uh, how's your excess week been? Well, beans it's Valentine's. I had a little play with some in excess songs and I came out with a little poem. Oh, do you want to read it out now? Do you want me to read it out? Well, is, is it sort of war and peace length or is it no. more, of a, more of a limerick or a haiku? <laughs> limerick. Okay, okay. To look at you by my side, I burn for you my strange desire. Your heaven sent the one thing. There is not enough time. I need you tonight. Love is what I say. Be my valentines and they can never tear us apart. That was lovely. Okay, we have a we used to have a saying in childhood in Australia: oh, "You're a poet, and you don't even know it." I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, look, we uh, want to welcome our patrons aboard. These are the key people that sort of keep us afloat and uh, obviously contribute on a week to week level, not just financially, but uh, emotionally and spiritually and fandom wise. Uh, so uh, I'm not sure if we have any newbies, B, or we're going to welcome just the collective gang. But over to you. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Well, hello to our honorary members, Nick Egan, Mark Opitz, Cameron Adams and Mary Woods. Big hello to Sue D, Joe Robbins, Carmen, Laurie, Carrie-Anne, Danielle, Sarah Markram, Sarah Camia, Dr. Jim, Katie, Felicia, Lisa Mack, Lisa Calloway, Anne-Marie, Susan P, Susan B, Foxy, Pedro, Mandy, Matt, Linda, Yvonne, Caroline, Amanda H, Amanda V, Leon, David, Tracy, Paul Jolie, Paul Boozy, Paul Bridges, Paul Buckley, Sandrine, Warren, Ella, Ryder, Tony, Erica, Abigail, Martin, Stefan, Val, Jim, Matey, Kelly, John, Jackie, Sean, Sheila, Shannon, Helen, Brett, Suzanne, Glenn, Laurel, Bard, Genevieve, Shelby, Manny, Laurie, Jill, Matthew, Laos, Lily, Jamie, Heidi, Paul, La, <laughs> uh, Lisa, Angie, Michael, Nancy, and Juliet. Oh, and I'd like to give a big shout out to Val. Congratulations on becoming a golden patron. And to Susan Purvis, happy birthday for the 25th of Feb. All 
might be. Well, uh, we're going to be doing Richard Clapton Part 2 today, and I know there's some really interesting sort of topics that we're going to be pressing towards uh, Richard's attention and looking forward to some answers, but uh, I thought I'd let you have the new ball and share what some of those might be. You want me to spoil it for everybody, you mean? There are a few little subject matters that we would be keen to find out more about. Well, the relationship that um, Clapton had with Murphy, which is quite interesting, and there's quite a few little stories there that we start off with that were interesting. Remember with the car and the horse, if we we talk about those. (laughs) And also there was the one about bringing on a meeting for um, Underneath the Colours every Tuesday. I can just imagine that at Kirribilli. So that was quite an interesting little part there that we'll uh, we'll hear more about. Um, what else was there? I think mm-hmm. there was one interesting one that uh, we look forward to raising and we're very keen to hear his answers, but I believe there could be a remarkable recording coincidence between That's the same right. song, yes. four or five albums apart. So yeah. I'm really... Uh, keen to have him flesh that one out for us too. Mm, and something about Michael and Kylie's bed. Ah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I'm sure that got you going, B. <laughs> A little. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, what's the time for? It's time for the news. Hi, this is Sarah from Sydney. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas. And now it's time for the news. Or it be something slightly different. I'm going to actually just mention the actual total weeks that the very best of has been in the Australian ARIA charts. It's actually now up to 372 weeks. Ooh. Well over seven years in climbing. The time of our last updates, uh, we didn't really do a new section uh, the other day for our rock and roll episode, but I can say that the album has stayed relatively stable. And the last time we uh, mentioned it, it was number 32. It did dip to 33 and then dipped a little bit more to 38 last uh, chart announcement on the weekend. So it's still sort of solid in that top 40, but hopefully it can still, uh, you know, have another climb or two left in it. A little bit of news. I'd like to sort of broaden our news a little bit, B. I thought without even telling you, we might even share a few little things that uh, are in excess related in our news as we do, but one or two things in there that uh, have nothing to do with in excess. I thought just musical tidbits. So uh, there will be one of those in a moment. However, uh, Richard Clapton, uh, who is our guest today, He has a a national tour that is coming out that's playing in a lot of the major capital cities. And he also, uh, pleasingly, has a With Sundays, I think it's Daydream Island, with Barnsley and Daryl Braithwaite. Now, for those in Australia, Daryl Braithwaite, the horses, everybody knows. But overseas, uh, you may know him as being the former lead singer of Sherbet, who had some success in America. Uh, they've got a uh, five-day gigathon. It's May 16th to the 20th. So not long after our anniversary, maybe we might have to slip up for that. Yeah, that would be quite fun. So it's probably a uh, three sort of concert affair in terms of three acts one night. I don't know how it all plays out, but uh, there's a five-day extravaganza there. And there's only, I think, 20 uh, rooms left. I think it's based on rooms uh, that are booked and things, and there's 20 rooms left. So if you are excited about going to that, uh, there are some tickets still there. Knowing Barnsley, they have to put him on an island because if they don't put him on Daydream Island, uh, Hamilton Island, some 20 k's away, would probably hear him. So great venue for Barnsley, mm-hmm. <laughs> who can hit some high-octave ranges. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, too, John Stevens, uh, I believe last night played at Fortitude Valley. Uh, I know MM, friend of the program. Uh, he used to be a friend, I think. Uh, he uh, was at Fortitude Valley last night. Uh, shared a good little post on his uh, platform where he actually has seen John Stevens play with in excess between 50 to 60 times, which is uh, 
probably the highest of any person in the world. So uh, he's always got some good stats and figures about that. John Stevens is also on February 26 here in Victoria Plain at Geelong Costa Hall. So that's a, a, a regional uh, gig that uh, has, uh, I think, sold out, but it's going to be well patronaged. Also, in a little bit of news, B, uh, a little bit of non-excess news, do you hear about Sting during the week? No. You haven't heard? No. Sting has sold all of his publishing and all his, all his basic royalties and record publishing mm. for $250 million. <gasps> His uh, record label. Now, in the press release, I did love the sort of uh, uh, line that, uh, that uh, uh, Sting used. He said, look, it's really good that whilst I'm alive, I, I really have a chance to curate the home which these go to. Mm-hmm. That's great. But you're also, when you're alive, curated, uh, I'll be missing you slash every breath you take to Puff Daddy. And you did record the Russians in 1985 and with the famous lyric, I hope the Russians love their children too. So I would probably say his record labour should slash $100 million off the asking price for those two. But imagine two hundred and fifty million bucks, and apparently he's not giving any, any to his kids. What kids? Kids get nothing. So where's this money going to? I don't know. I think he's thinking of taking it with him with uh, Trudy. I don't know. I don't know how where it's going. But he's seventy years old. And he's got two hundred and fifty million dollars. Oh gosh, I can't imagine. I can't imagine that. Also, too, a little bit of news. This is quite funny. Um, I mentioned, <laughs> I think, a couple of episodes ago. There's a cover band in the in the UK looking for a uh, a, a guitarist for an excess cover band. I did see that. Did yeah. I mention that? Have to you, you applied? <laughs> Look, I haven't. Are oh, you a drummer? My, yeah. Well, well, I, I don't know if this is the same band. Looking, <laughs> they're now looking for two guitarists. Okay. <laughs> so there's a cover band in the West Midlands need two in excess guitarists for cover band. In the band. West now, Midlands. In the West Midlands. Now, explain to me some some towns in the West Midlands. <laughs> Are we talking Liverpool here? Is that the Midlands or not? No, no I'm from Where's the in- West Midlands. Oh, Birmingham. Birmingham, Is that right? yeah. All right, yeah. okay. Well, this the two guitars I need are the two guitars I need are the equivalent to Tim and Kirk. They need a rhythm and a lead. They've got a bass oh, player. Oh, please get in touch. I can't wait. We should uh, send it to Tim. To, uh, singing in excess in a Brummy accent will be so much fun to well, listen to. <laughs> so the band have, uh, have the Michael character. They've got the Andrew character. They've got Gary on bass. Oh, will you send me the link and, to that? And they've... I, I will. And they've, they've got uh, uh, John on drums or whatever there. I'll send you the link. But if you are in the West Midlands for Sydney, you want to join me. Do you know what? It's probably band, my mate's got... taking the piss. Just <laughs> no, we'll see. Gotta see. you got to tell me. Okay. Now, I'm going to straighten up here a little bit, okay? okay uh, there was a great, great, great article that you, anyone here can download. It was on February the 7th. It was a Shibu Shabar album revisit. Now, it came through the ABC Double J sort of website. Well, it was based on the sort of maybe a Double J article back in the early 80s. But it was a great retrospective by a journal called Kaz Tran. It was like a revisit about how the third album really shaped their career and things. I think published on February 7th. So do yourself a favour and download that. It was just a great read and uh, really was quite accurate and, and accurately depicting sort of the events and the you know, the momentum that album gave. So I do give a bit of kudos to that. Okay. Well, you've just reminded me there's a, a, somebody's actually done an acoustic session of I Need You Tonight. It's Michael, but they've done it with an acoustic session. Have you heard that yet? 
No, I haven't. Why are you laughing? Who have you got there? No, no, I'm about to go into the next segment, which is going to make you laugh in a moment. I know you cue the music, okay, but I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of preparing myself for the next thing <laughs> if you talk about the current thing. But, uh, no, I haven't heard it, although maybe it's something that's been around my wheelhouse. But Let me just uh, play this to you for a second. This moment, 21st century is yesterday. You can care all you want. Everybody does, yeah, that's okay, yeah. So slide over here and give me a moment. Your moves are so raw. I've got to let you know. I've got to let you know. You play that little version there, and it sounded a little bit like a Gary Jules. Remember the Mad World sort of slow down version of yes. Tears for Fears song? And yes. it was in the Donnie Darko thing. But it sounds like an interesting version because that vocal is pretty much the original vocal. I can tell that from Michael. Yes, it is. But yeah. the background stuff, they've played around with the, the tempo a little mm-hmm, bit there. So mm-hmm. that's a quite interesting sound. We might be able to post that and put it on our platforms. Yeah, anyway. I'm hoping uh, to. And maybe by the time you release this episode, you've got the author of who it is. Yep, it's been uploaded by a guy called Martin Clark and it's on YouTube and it's Michael Hutchins with In Excess Undiscovered. All right, B. Now I'm going to make you laugh a little bit here. Okay, we are. It's not for... easy to make me laugh, Hayden. So okay, I'll be... mention t- <laughs> two words to you Media Wars. Yes! <laughs> Hi, this is Katie from England. You're listening to NXS Media Wars. Now, we have probably the most jam-packed episode of Media Wars that, that, that I think we've ever had. And you know what? There's no Kirk. No way. <laughs> no, this is a, a jam-packed version. Now, on a more serious tone, our friend of the band, John Farris, you know, oh, uh, yes. uh, drummer. Mm-hmm. Now, he's been uh, picketing in Canberra. We have had about a million people, uh, you know, uh, descend on our nation's capital for these anti-vax stances and things like that. Whatever your stance is, argue your point, believe in what you believe. If that's your reality, that's your truth, go for it. Yeah. It's not my truth, John. If that's your truth, fantastic. Argue it and make an argument. Go for it. John's stepping up to the plate. He's uh, putting his name to a cause. And uh, I think there's been a little bit of media uh, focus on John this week if you, if you uh, Google his name. All right, second one is Andrew. They seek him here. They seek him there. Does anyone know not Andrew's in America at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> Have you been living on Mars to realise that in, in the last seven days we've seen Andrew about to get on the plane? It's been a day we've by day, Andrew, isn't it? We've yeah. seen Andrew get off the plane. No, he got on the plane first. He was underneath yeah. the... Yeah. Now, I know, but then we saw him get off the plane and yeah. point to the arrival. We've seen Andrew uh, at the Joshua Tree, which I nicknamed it was the Ferris Tree. Okay, we renamed <laughs> it U2. Fuck you, U2. It's now the Ferris Tree. Okay, uh, we've seen Andrew. Andrew's actually had time to go on, I think, a podcast in Massachusetts via, obviously, the phone called Rock 102 Mornings with Baxi's Musical Podcast. And he's done an interview there uh, since arriving in the country. And he's had chances to change his uh, Tamworth dates to April now. Plus, he's doing some stuff in the USA. 
This is former media shy Andrew. He's just mm. a juggernaut. But you know what? At Greatest Media Wars this week is the dearly departed Michael. He's made it to Media Wars because Kate Sobrano, oh, uh, yeah. who, who po- who's a great Australian singer, uh, posted an article about you know, how nice. gorgeous Michael was and mm. just just how he lit up the room and, and yeah. just the effect he had as a musician on her. So we're going to give Media Wars winner this week to Michael. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Hi, I'm Michael Hutchins from Access. Thank you very much for coming backstage with Access All Areas, okay? Hope you have a good time. Hey, this is Tim Farris. Big shout out to Hayden and B. Also want to say hello to all the listeners and Access fans. Thanks for listening. I love you, Hayden and B. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Here's a tidbit. My, Michael Hutchins and Richie Clapton naked and handcuffed to a chair in Paris. Ah, no. <laughs> For how long were you getting tickled? Was that the police turned Was that when the police turned up? No, no, no. Huh? I was not even there. Okay. I promise you it's true. I was so out of it. Like we'd been in my room and Mike was doing the rock star thing and throwing lampshades out the window and everything. And, Oh, I think everyone's smoking hash, and I'm not. I'm not a real great hash smoker. So there, there was. It, it's a 17th century hotel. It's the most beautiful hotel. And the truth is, they all went off to um, to a friend's place about um, six blocks away to this apartment. I was so out of it. I just didn't make it. So the hotel staff found me in the fetal position on this little flight of stairs. And I was still there for another six weeks. And then <laughs> the, the French guys on reception every morning at two o'clock, they go, hello, hello, bonsoir, Rishi. Uh, will you be all right tonight or do we need to come and tuck you in again? <laughs> Uh, when the incident happened, I promise you I was not there. Anyway, any publicity is good publicity, as you know. <laughs> but uh, other people in our party were, were at the apartment. And <laughs> no, I'm not going to tell you where. <laughs> you can't just keep going down and not telling us. Yeah, you tease back. Lay to straighten up a little bit. with the. Uh, tell us about the Glory Road film clip. I, I, I've got a bit of a theory on this one. You were doing a... Uh, uh, Richard Ashcroft, uh, before the Verve decided to walk down the street uh, in a one sort of take almost shoot before he did it. Uh, I love that clip of you walking down in, uh, uh, is it West Berlin at the time? West, East and West Berlin and Paris. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Paris, yeah. Uh, yeah. Tell us Richard Lowenstein. And once again, um, because Rod Muir was financing all of this, there's no expense spared. And I'm glad of that because the first, uh, <laughs> first morning of shooting, I looked at the crew and I counted up 22 people. I went, Jesus, a 22-man <laughs> film crew. You've got to be kidding me. Full catering. <laughs> um, yeah, full-on catering. So we started out because we were already in Paris. We did a lot of filming at the Tuileries, which is all in the clip. Then we went to West Berlin, um, obviously where I'm really comfortable because it, 
it was already like my second home. And we did a, a lot of stuff in West Berlin. And then Richard kept on and on about East Berlin. And, uh, you know, I'd been back and forth and living in Berlin since the late 60s. And I just said, Richard, it's not a joke, you know, going to East Berlin. Because truly, I don't know whether you realise how heavy that was. Mm. That wall was no joke. No. I mean, I, I'd had a couple of near run-ins. Uh, I mean, the, the, guard, the West East German guards, they like to do things like come up with big shears and, and you know, if you're a hippie, pretend to cut your hair off and just do anything to intimidate you. <laughs> you know, how can I put this um, without incriminating anybody? Well, anyway, one, one, look, one of the guys was gay. In the, we had, so we only took about four or five people over to West Berlin because it's so heavy. And the East German money, you, you couldn't spend it anywhere else, anywhere else. So the idea was you'd have to spend it before you left East Germany or otherwise it was worthless. Mm. So there was, there was this big place called the People's Palace and honestly, Stollies was like a, less than a dollar a shot. It was just, you know, and it was top shelf Stollies. We all got so out of it. And, I, I mean, I'd been pretty nervous the whole day because uh, the gay guy kept making an ass of him. Um, <laughs> a bit of a ruckus everywhere. But what I'll never forget, you come back across Checkpoint Charlie and just like the movies, you know, it's, it's, no, it's no joke. But the Australians in the party, they wouldn't take it seriously. And anyway, the gay guy went into the booth first <laughs> and he was so drunk on the vodka and he's going, oh, boys, you wait, you see the bum on this one. He's just <laughs> I'm going, oh, geez, we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die. We are going to so be and nobody's ever going to see us again. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> oh, no, you were, like wanted to laugh, but you couldn't. It was serious <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I said I'd, I'd already been been going to Berlin for twenty years prior to that, and I just knew how heavy it was, and and you couldn't mess around. You know, if if you gave them gave them stick or something, they they really could. They'd probably catch you off to Siberia. Uh, you mentioned a couple of times Chris Murphy, uh, dearly departed Chris Murphy. We, yeah. We've interviewed a lot of people on this podcast and I've just been reading Chris's book and uh, I guess as they say, he's the seventh member of the band and probably ruffled a few feathers along the way. Uh, I did laugh at an ex- excerpt I read the other day about a certain car accident when Chris was driving somewhere yeah. on a tour with you and, and he fell asleep at the wheel. Is that right? Not really. It's just the one where he lost his temper. Oh, well, that's hard to, to break down. He did that a few times, but... <laughs> uh, well, no, well, here's one uh, of so many Chris Murphy stories. Chris actually managed me for a while prior to yes. when he said, yes. going back to prehistory, yeah. that was the connection. That's how I got into this. Hmm. Chris had this temper like you wouldn't believe. Well, Bridget, it's more for you. You know that those treacherous mountain roads up behind the Gold Coast? Yeah. And there was a lot of mist and fog and, and we're driving to a gig and I was in an argument with Chris because um, Chris got, got, got wind that Chuggy was going to try and rip me off Chris. And anyway, Chris is something the steering wheel. Um, Michael Hegarty, my bass player of 42 years, was in the back seat with the keyboard player. Chris would just go psycho sometimes. It was a narrow, treacherous mountain road and, and it was like about... Oh, no, that's scary. Yeah. yeah and, and Chris went screaming around on the slippery road and honestly, the car was like like this 
hanging over the edge. Oh my god! <laughs> you all got in the back. It would be like um, the Italian job. What do you think they did? They immediately jumped out. No, <gasps> the counterbalance. No, I think, I think he's having some creative liberties. I reckon he said that you you jumped out first. <laughs> oh really? No. Yeah. No, the uh, two of them jumped out first. Yeah. All I remember is Murphy smashing the steering wheel on the, this 200-foot drop yeah. this, with the car, the rental car like this. Oh, my God, it makes me feel and sick. And he's the steering wheel and he's going, you just get back in this fucking car. <laughs> See ya. See ya. The old in excess cry. Yeah. Uh, I was just so lucky because this farmer came down the road about a minute later and he had a big chain. He, had, he was driving a big, what do you call him, um, land. Rover. When Chris went to manage in excess, did he? Uh, did you go to work with Chuggy, or did he manage you two at the same time? No, no. <laughs> I don't know how far I should go with it. I mean, well, obviously Chris's not here anymore. But for this, he's going to deny it. But he did. He ripped me off, Chris. And honestly, it was a decades-long feud erupted after that. Yeah. Uh-huh. Both of them are so so bloody proud and so yeah. arrogant and so up themselves. Um, Chris just couldn't cope with the. Uh, being defeated. Well, yeah. well, well, you're right. I mean, the, the the takeaway from the book is that he just, you know, he's a winner, a born winner, wants to win, and yeah. the notion of defeat is, you know, from his ice hockey youth, you know, something that probably, you know, as they say, your greatest strength in life can be your greatest weakness. But, you know, that was a strength that I think probably parlayed into an excess to some success, you know? <laughs> I just, I'll give you a really good example. When he first had an excess, and I think it was after Underneath the Colours, and we were having quite a lot of success, and he had that farm. Where was that Richmond, Windsor, something, somewhere yeah. out there? Yeah. The Wagga Wagga one? Or- when he bought the, the racehorse and called it in excess. Oh, right. <laughs> so I'm up, for, up up at Chris's place the weekend. So he takes me out to see his, his um, precious new racehorse called in excess. And he's going, I'm your holiday. Get up, get up, get up. Okay. <laughs> Just leave it alone. And honestly, Chris goes, I told you, get up. I wasn't doing nothing, so Chris went, bash, right into his jaw. <laughs> Hit the horse? Hey, hey, it was the 80s, all right? It was the 80s, you could do that. Oh, it was the 80s, you could get away with it then. <laughs> Smack him back. <laughs> that is well, not that a rank, because I'd give him a point. <laughs> that was Chris's character. That's. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Oh, He's I, a tough I, man, hey? Uh, so many. Look, there, there was another time in Melbourne and, and we were going to visit some friends of ours in a studio in Melbourne, like after a gig or something. And Chris lost his temper again and he crossed over to the opposite side. You know, your big, wide, what would you, they call boulevards, you know, you know, mm-hmm. three lanes over here and then a median strip. Yeah. yeah. And it was about three o'clock in the morning and Chris just deliberately drove over to the wrong side of the road. And we're all screaming and he's just had his foot on the gas. And it's like, you know. <laughs> and that's him losing his temper. That's nothing to do with like alcohol or, or anything. That's just, uh, that was his character. He would just see red and uh, lose it. Yeah. Look, I, I know, I know Chris's story, but, and I don't know if it's ever been told, but I, I, I don't think it's my right to really explain his character. Mm. You, know, you know anything about Mark Murphy, his father? 
Yes. You know, yeah, it's tragic, oh. wasn't it? Yeah. No, oh. I, we've we've both read his book. We're sad that we didn't actually get to meet him because we were trying. Well, Hayden's written all this, and we're trying to make um, a historical um, piece that we laid down so everyone can just go in and out and listen. And we really would have liked him to have been um, able to have heard some of them. So it's a sad, really, that um, that wasn't Mm -hmm. um, the case. First time I met Martha and, um, what's it, Bill and Martha in New York. Martha Trout, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and Bill Leibovitz. We sat down in an expensive restaurant. <laughs> Bill and Martha go, so, Richard, please, you got to explain Chris to us because we just can't figure him out. <laughs> okay, I'm glad we got all night. <laughs> How long you got? <laughs> I'll, I'll <laughs> just a couple of quick things. I was going to say the relationships I can sense through just doing a bit of research and also you, I think you might have been on Sunrise, one of those shows a couple of years ago, talking about NXS as well. But it just seems like you've got great relationships with the band. I think, my, uh, sorry, Andrew might have inducted you into the Your Aria Hall of Fame yeah. uh, in 99. Is that right? Uh, 99, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that must have been great. Um, I assume you get a chance to nominate who nominates or inducts you at the time, and you picked Andrew, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, the whole band was there, though. Yeah. Um, but, I, yeah, I think possibly only, only at, um, Andrew took the stage. Yeah. But, no, look, I, it's really quite overwhelming, the relationship I've had to these guys. And, and once again, I mean, I, I feel really blessed with my timeline because I met them uh, even pre-formative years pretty much because mm. really they were just kids yes um, I, I was only a little bit older than them anyway but it's funny actually when it's sorry Richard Hayden mentioned the sunrise I think that was the first time I ever noticed you and your connection to in excess I remember watching that that I think was it 2014 and you just brought your book out? Yeah. And the ministers had come out, I think, at the same time. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And I thought, who is this guy? I think my relationship to NXS is really public. I, I think my relationship went a bit more private. Well, not, not so much private, but there was a lot of um, a lot of very complicated problems between the rest of the band and Michael. It was kind of sad, really, because I, I, I'd had, you know, a really sort of special relationship to Michael for a long while. But, you know, after we got together with Paul and stuff, that all changed. And so it's not so much that I slipped into the background or anything because, I, was, you know, I, I, as I said, Johnny played drums for me at Blues Fest um, the year before last. And he, and he turned up at that great video. I think I saw of you, yours was filmed in Parliament in 2008, I think. Johnny turned up and played... It was the State Theatre went and became one of those video live releases, I think, for you. See, the boys played with, with me a lot, including this century. I mean, the, the Ted uh, Mulry benefit, I think, as well, didn't they? You yeah, know? Ted Mulry was Gary, Gary, Johnny, and Jim. Yeah. I've done heaps of gigs with Johnny and Gary. Yeah. And Kirk, Kirk, I've done a bit of writing with. Um, we got Kirk to play sax on my Distant Thunder album and stuff like that. So it's 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 just a, a, an enduring friendship. You know, and, and what I what what I like about friendships like this, it's kind of like my German friends. You know, we, we don't have to talk to each other every day. Mm. You know, the friendship's still there, and it, it's just great.
a song with Tim as well. I remember the video. Um, yeah, so if you saw that video, you know, that's that's really cute. Timmy and I in that. Calling for you, the song's called. That's right. And that, that was a co-write with Tim. Was um, that one-off Glory Road or...? No, that was um, that was a one-off. Right, okay. It was just Tim, yeah. Tim. Tim had been trying to write this song and he didn't know what to do with it. Right, okay. He approached me to help him write it. Yeah. Oh, if you haven't seen that video, it's it, a really it, nice video, actually. Yeah. yeah. Imitate uh, Tom Gleason of Hard Quiz and throw seven or eight quick in excess questions at you for a quick answer. If 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 I could kindly ask, first one was what what to you or what were in excess? Could you put it down to anything sort of simple? Well, the greatest innovators in Australian music and, and in some ways um, in, in international music. I mean, what they did was so unique and so special. And it's just great that I was able to witness how all cross-pollination and potpourri of ideas. See, when I first met, um, when I first started pre-production for Underneath the Colours, we used to have weekly meetings every Tuesday at Michael's Place in Kirribilli. I mean, I'd been like a closet Jackson Brown, Bob Dylan, you know, and I didn't get out much musically, put it that way. So I, I needed a bit of an education myself. So I'd say to the band, can you all just, you know, bring your favourite album or something, so I can get an idea of where all your heads are at. Now, I may have this wrong, so if the band see this, well, they can smack me later. But from memory, I think Kirk was way over this side, over the right-hand side. I think Kirk was into Roxy Music. I remember Gary Gary was into um, um, uh, XCC. Yeah. See, I still got it. XCC. Yeah. Uh, and then way over left of centre, you have Michael, and Michael was just into really weird shit. <laughs> <laughs> Burns and Eno was was Michael's idea of commerciality. <laughs> but see, it was so amazing because because over over this side you you've got a band members into Roxy Music, and over this side you've got Michael into really weird stuff that most have never never heard of. I am I'm eternally grateful for that. Because in retrospect, when I look at it, um, as I just said, I'd been a myopic singer-songwriter. I just didn't really take much interest in anything else except singer-songwriters. Randy Newman, Neil Young, Joni, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So my amalgamation with the excess, it just forced me to open my ears and I'm so glad I did. Even by the time you get to The Great Escape, you can tell that, that I, I'd sort of moved on from that whole, you know, sort of Jackson Brown kind yeah, of songwriter thing. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think their greatest, uh, you know, achievement for myself personally, and I think some people through mm-hmm. our community have mentioned this, is that their versatility and wide range of coming up with anything from a funk song to a, a soul song to something blues-based to, you know, something, I mean, country-tinged um, to dance. I mean, they really had a, a melting pot of, uh, of strands. comes from having six diverse guys. Yeah, and, and that's why I think they were so unique because that, that's a chemistry so rare. 
and you know, I've always said that you really needed all six. It, it was kind of like you know, the Beatles or the Rolling Stones to some extent. Mm. You kind of had to have all six of them um, to, to just get that in excess thing. catalogue do you rate your favourite? Kick without a doubt because I actually once again I was so lucky I was just at the kick sessions every night and it just, Chris Thomas just amazes me. What what about a, a particular song? Is there a song in their catalogue or two or three songs that just, you know, move you and you look up, look back and go wow, you know? There's a lot but new sensation I'll say. And when you look, talk a little about Michael, I guess you know, going back to the more positive period and, and times there, you know, he's a standout guy I guess and a focal point of the band. Seeing, I guess, the Richard Clapton produced version of The Loved One and then seeing his vocal chops evolve to the, what you might call mm. the MTV, Chris Thomas version of The Loved One, mm. he definitely evolved, didn't he, as a singer? Yeah, and that was really funny. Yeah. But once again, Jim, Johnny and I were living together and Johnny, that's why I was at the sessions every night because uh, they had really good catering and Johnny would <laughs> come in for dinner. Yeah. And so... I'd, I'd been going in there for weeks. And this one night, I showed up and the whole band were kind of ignoring me and sort of going to other rooms. Oh. <laughs> I said, what, what? And, and anyway, the band kept disappearing. <laughs> I'm going, oh, jeez, what, what have I, I done? What have I done? <laughs> then the control room door opens and said, oh, well, excuse the fuck out of me. You know? <laughs> We're cheating on you, Richard. We're yeah. cheating on you. <laughs> that's, a, that's an unbelievable anecdote, really, because here we are going, you know, not only does a song you produce in the early days, you're actually there, coincidentally. I was there when the band finally came. Yeah, what a story. Well, like I say, sorry, sorry, Ralphie, but, you know, I just... <laughs> I made it do it. <laughs> that's not okay, boys. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's, it, not many bands have done that, released two songs of the same type seven years apart on sort of certain pivotal albums of which um, I guess, you know, stylistically, they both really are quite different production-wise yeah. of their times, I guess, aren't they, each of them? It, like, I just did an album in Nashville four years ago and it's a similar thing. Like, I regurgitated because the producer I had in Nashville really wanted me to come. He, he wanted to produce a, a real Americana album, so he cherry-picked out of a lot of my older albums. So the Nashville album is sort of half new songs and half old songs. Hmm. Well, it can be viable, can't it, for artists these days to re-record some of their stuff, um, you know, financially, I guess, with so many sort of loopholes of financial things being cut off now for an artist. Um, a lot of artists have gone back and re-recorded some of their back catalogue because maybe yeah. there's some rights that they get to own on the new new masters, maybe, or something like that. Richard Clapton. Probably an excess, Tim Ferriss. Gary Beers. 
James Ellis, Natasha Stewart, and Colin Curry. in the world there everybody has a doppelganger somebody you know looks like themselves uh, you are aware of the comparisons in Australian uh, entertainment who you do look very much like who, who should play you in a miniseries I believe oh Mick Malloy correct <laughs> I thought I would throw it out there in case you didn't, hadn't heard it I mean it's just a bummer that Mick's left Triple M because we, we we dined out on that for years yes yes but First time Mick interviewed me, and they, you know, at radio station, they wanted the photos after. Yeah. And Mick, Mick was, he just loved it. Uh, honestly, I, I think that was the first time my Facebook page, except for Michael Hutchinson's no shirt. I think me and Mick Malloy are the second, second time. <laughs> so for our overseas listeners, Mick Malloy is quite a famous comedian, sort of actor, movie maker, radio host or whatever there, and just happens to look very much like Richard. So we do think we need a, a mini-series and we do know how he can come and play you. If I could just segue into your own career a little bit just to tie some things up, I mean, you had a – I haven't read it yet, but I, I really look forward to doing it. You had a, a biography come out or an autobiography come out in 2014. I guess it must have been a cathartic thing to go through. A lot of people who put their life in print – how was that for you, getting all that out? Uh, extremely hard work. That actually took me about 12 years to write. Yay. There's a health resort um, up near Byron Bay, which is too expensive for me, but the owner is a, a big fan of mine, and he offered me two weeks up there free of charge. Mm. So um, I, I did not have a laptop in those days. So um, in those days you could actually rent them from um, – I think an Apple store. Mm. So I thought, well, I'm going to be up here in solitude for a couple of weeks. And it, people had been at me about writing a book for so long because especially in the eighties, I mean, I mean, the thing was in excess and Jimmy and me was a lot more public than it has been in recent years. So I, I think people wanted, <laughs> wanted to hear all the stories, especially about the Rat Pack and stuff. So anyway, look, I started that at Camp Eden. I don't know. I, I knocked over, I can't remember how many words. It's quite a lot, about 30,000 words or something. And are you pleased with it, the result? Look, I, I was a bit perplexed about the whole process. Who did, you, no. who did you work with on the actual book itself? Did you have sounding boards or ghostwriters? No, not really. I wrote it myself, but Alan and Unwin are a major publisher. They have to have their lawyers sanction the book hmm. and also um, oh, there's some sort of rule and regulation where you also have to have a ghostwriter. Um, oversee the book. Yeah, Jeff, Jeff didn't really participate in the writing. He, I, I guess, he was sort of like an editor in a way. I guess. Um, the, I guess the good thing about your book, the fact that you said you, you came up with a lot of the words through a bit of research, they probably like everything. 
you know, have to edit these things down to certain amount of material over a certain period of time. Like it seemed to date itself up to the nineties, I think, didn't it? Didn't go much into the two thousands. No, no, that was that was kind of deliberate and that was kind of commercial as well. Yeah. yeah. I just haven't got around to doing book two. <laughs> but um no, the publisher at the time and, and other people advising me said, let it don't let it all go in one go. Well, Barnsley's done a couple of books himself, hasn't he? You know, he's gone on to yeah. two or three books. So, yeah. but I guess, look, going through, you know, it's probably funny looking and navel gazing and saying, well, what do I go back and examine? And I probably can't think of a better environment to do some self-analysis yeah. and go to the Camp yeah. Eden or the Golden Door or lock yourself away from all the distractions, you know? Hopefully I'll get around to it. I, as I said, it's really extremely hard work. Yeah. Have you ever tried to write a book? No. I had a friend. Who, I had a friend who tried to do it, and it was uh, painstaking at best. And I, and I, I guess the well, without pissing in your pocket, the, you're very erudite, and your attention to detail and memory is very good. So, you know, um, I guess that's a helpful thing because you know some people, you know, we interview, and I say this with the greatest respect, but you know, Timmy, T- Timmy, uh, you know, forgets which single is on what album and things like that, and just more out of you know, he goes, oh, "I was there at the time. It doesn't really matter," you know. <laughs> Yeah, but your, your attention to sort of back into, you know, 67, the bands and everything there, which we've listened to, to today is, is extremely erudite and, and sharp, which probably lent itself to writing that book. Wild life. Wild life. When it's bad, it bad a more positive sense for you. I mean, touring, it must be something, this must be a very weird time for you, not hitting the road, which you probably do every year or twice, three times a year. Have, not with COVID. <laughs> uh, is, is there a tour going to come up at some stage when, you know, everything's go, going okay for you in that COVID world? It's starting to get kind of alarming now. Every year I've done a, a concert tour. Like I, I started at State Theatre in Sydney. Well, I've done... 15, I think, every year. Hmm. And, and it's become a bit of an, um, it's almost like a pilgrimage because fans of mine fly from Perth and yes. all over Australia. Yeah. And because we did this, you know, the Hippie album is a hot, you know, it's a, a complete package, a project. And we wanted to tour to promote that album. But so far, we've had uh, four cancellations and postponements. Isn't there like a festival thing that you're touring with others? Oh, there's heaps of them. Really? You see, see Perth, I had Perth on February 13. Mm. That's gone. Uh, that, that wasn't, you know, my my gig. That was, um, you know, uh, there's about 10 bands on that and oh, they're falling over all over the place. So how, how did Newcastle go? Um, Newcastle went really well, but as I said, I, I'm, um, yes, I'm a bit frazzled at the moment. I um, will declare I haven't heard your, you know, covers album set you there, but I did hear you interviewed on ABC Radio probably maybe a month or two ago, and it's not, I won't quote anything other than saying that I think when you put this sort of album together, um, and I, I do remember you had, um, I think, Love and Spoonful and some stuff from Stephen yeah. Hills, I think from Buffalo Springfield, I think from Memory and uh, Neil Young, and some really great songs. Yeah. But it didn't feel, and I think you said this, it didn't feel like a sort of a covers album per se. It felt like it came from a, a different place, you know? To be short and sweet with that, um, I got a gig in San Francisco uh, about four years ago and I just went over there with my guitar player and hung around Haight-Ashbury um, for uh, about two or three weeks after. 
And when I got back to Australia, I befriended this guy, Terry Blamey, who, who um, uh, Terry's <laughs> interesting as well. Terry managed to climb the for nearly yeah, her yeah, whole. Yeah, that's who he is, yeah. And I have, I have so much fun with Terry because, you know, Terry knows nothing about Michael and Kylie. My children were actually <laughs> conceived in Michael and Kylie's bed and I'm gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> You're twins, like, haven't you? I like to. You're uh, twins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I like to tease Terry about <laughs> what I know about Michael and Kyle. <laughs> um, so anyway, Terry and I were having a night when I got back from San Francisco and Terry said, um, I know what we should do. Let's do a, a, an album of hippie anthems. And my first reaction was, uh, no, I don't do covers. I don't know, Terry. Just, you know, not into it. And um, then I, I, I let it percolate from, you know, two or three days and then I oh that's right and then Terry sent me he emailed me a list of songs and um, oh no so I called him up and I said yeah yeah I'm getting warmer I'm getting warmer so anyway one thing led to another and, and um, Terry's for obvious reasons was Michael Gudinski's best friend because you can imagine how much Kylie made for the mushroom organisation yeah. so um, <laughs> Terry got me a record deal pretty easily we went and did that album just right on the cusp of COVID, we actually did, we actually did fifteen band tracks and managed to get them down, which is so great. And then a few weeks later, COVID hit and a bit really bad. If you remember when Melbourne was really bad, yeah, yeah. So Tony Spencer, my guitar player, who I've been with for over twenty years, so you recorded uh, in Melbourne, yeah. No, no, we recorded in in Rancom Studios in Sydney, right. which is the only old um, analog studio left. Uh -huh. But then when, when COVID hit, you couldn't really even, all the studios immediately had to close down mm. under COVID. So, I mean, we've all got this music software called Pro Tools. Pro Tools is sort of like the, the industry standard mm. of music software. Mm. Um, Danny's got it, so do I. David, the engineer, I mean, by the way, Chipper, his nickname is Chipper did four in excess albums. Well, you know, David engineered Kick, um, listen like thieves. Uh, what else? Did he do? Four, he might have done something with X with Chris Thomas. I think he was part of that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but anyway, no. So we had to finish, and the first year of COVID for Danny and Chipper and I were, it was actually a good thing because Chipper wasn't well at this stage, and he was pretty much in hospital. Um, in, he had to be quarantined uh, for obvious reasons. So. We spent a year finishing off the album remotely. So I'll, I'll recap. So we've all got these laptops with the, mm. this amazing music software on it. What was great about it is if you guys remember your first year in COVID, it's like, honestly, if I, so I was flat out busy every day and I was, you know, chasing after Danny with a big stick. And I mean, we did uh, Woodstock, the, the Joni Mitchell song, mm. Crosby, Sauce, Nash and Young do. I think Danny did about 12 vocals like you know across themselves Nash on it because well he was pretty bored if you remember what Melbourne was like that year yeah, yeah. Not a lot there no we're, I'm, I'm, I feel still like I'm locked down 800 days later to the degree but I know what you uh, mean yeah <laughs> you're nice brother so, so yeah so the, an interesting thing you just said I mean you've obviously come from the organic you know singer songwriter guitar you know instrumentation and Johnny Farris, obviously, who you're tight with, you know, he was one of the first drummers to embrace a lot of the the, the computerized sequencing stuff with his drumming. Um, 
I guess there's that balancing act, isn't there? You know, where you embrace new technology, but try not lose the, you know, the organic nature of the implementation. How did you find that with your new album, just trying to balance the two? Um, Well, fortunately, the band I've got are just amazing. Uh, Even though they're younger than me, they're so highly attuned to that genre. Like, in other words, 60s and 70s Mm. genre, Mm. Um, and especially hippie music. So Mm. they're, they're... they're naturally adept at playing Neil Young or David Crosby or any of those artists. Yeah. So when we put the band tracks down, the band tracks went down so easily because, um, you know, Mick Skelton, the drummer, who most people think is, is um, well, how should I say, second Johnny Farris. <laughs> no, Mick, <Yeah. laughs> Mick's just amazing. And, and um, so is Clayton Dolly and Danny Spencer and Michael Hegarty. They're all just really attuned to it, and and I'd made it clear to them, but but they were on the same le- wavelength as I was that I don't do covers, so I wanted it to be homage. And what I mean by homage is this is really my mu- musical DNA. I mean, when you think of it, mm. like you know, hours ago in the interview, I was telling you like I'm I was a London hippie. Uh, I was a London hippie listening to Neil Young's After the Gold Rush and yeah. and Jamie Mitchell's Blue, etc. So th- this is the music. This is where I come. This music is where I come from. Yeah, I think the uh, art of a great song. You sort of alluded to a bit earlier. Like I think the younger people today, you know, technology and big tech and all that sort of stuff seems to have become the cultural epicenter. You go into a music store these days, well, it's all technology before you even get to the CD counter. You know, yeah. a great song, which I guess, and maybe you're thankful the era you've come through. Um, a great song than one. Some of these ones on here from Seals and Croft and Buffalo Springfield, and you know, I mean, the song is the legacy, isn't it? A great, and you've got that in your own career where these songs will outlive you and me and everybody. Just lost nowadays, and the younger people don't quite appreciate the other good stuff. There's a great article in the Atlantic. Um, the Atlantic's a really great American what you call it, broadsheet, I suppose. Yes. And the headline is pretty much, I don't know if you two realise this, but old music actually constitutes 70% of consumer music now. Yeah. And the, the new modern music is actually shrinking. Yeah. It's getting less and less. And, you know, and the and the writer who wrote it said, you know, he, he wanted to write this article. And the, you know, 19-year-old kid on the checkout was singing, um, oh, I don't know, one of the classics. Oh, Jesus. God, now I've got brain. That's all right. something historic yeah. and cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, historic and cool. Yeah. But see, look, you know, um, because this is supposed to be out in excess, I would have to add to that. For me, in excess really belonged to that world. I mean, not not the oldie, oldie world like I do, but, you know, and I, I just think it's a shame that, that, you know, in excess did so much. You know, it's not just what they achieved. We all know what they achieved. But, you know, and sometimes I wonder whether whether excess do get a bit undervalued. Oh, or, especially, like, mm. You know. We, we, we're pushing the barrow a little bit to get them into the Rock Hall of Fame. And uh, but you got a question. You go, B. I was on Twitter last night and um, UK aired the Mystify documentary that um, Richard Lowenstein did. And right. Twitter went off last night and so much positiveness about Michael and in excess and, you know, this music was lost. Um, and this is coming from the UK mainly, mainly saying that, you know, so undervalued, um, you know, he was an absolute yeah. God um, his voice. No, no one was listening to it. Correct. You know, properly, you know, he should be, 
he should be up there with the Rolling Stones and everyone, but we they they just don't put them up there in excess, do they? No, but but um, I think what we're witnessing is in excess, uh, definitely perennial. I I don't think. Um, yeah, you know, what what the guys saying in the in the article in the Atlantic is, you know, young people, young people nowadays they can't even remember records that came out last week. Mm. Yeah. Whereas we're talking about records that came out. Well, if you want to talk about in excess, you know, I did an album with them in 1980. Yeah. You know, what's that? 40 years. Yeah. The uh, the the one thing I've you know tried to champion on the podcast with B here as well is the depth in their catalogue and the depth on each album, they weren't really an album of sort of or a band that had, you know, half killer and half filler. They really, I think, treated each yeah. album. And each yeah. song was important. They, You know, like if it's going to make it to the album, it's got to be good, you know, and the better yeah. bands do that, the Beatles and things like that, the Stones. I mean, a lot of, there are other bands that put three hit singles on, the rest is really just filler, you know? Yeah, yep, correct. Fantastic. Thank you for coming on to the show uh, over the last couple of weeks. And I hope you can come on again. Maybe you might have more stories up your sleeves, up your rock star <laughs> sleeves. So uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. We can't wait to your tour, Richard. Uh, I'm more than pumped to, to Yeah, to me too. In a hippie term, peace and love, Richard Clapton. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Peace and love. Yeah. Here's the excess farewell. See ya. And now for a moment with Murphy. I watched a lot of bands, particularly Australian bands, trying to break the world at once with the same record. I had this system. With every album, I'd get rough mixes, get on a plane by myself and listen to the album. While I was on the plane, I'd start sequencing the album, start getting videos, uh, video ideas, work out how we're going to tour and how we're going to market the album. That was my thing. I think very, very well on planes. I think most people probably do. When I got to LA with Shibu Shibar, I went, cool, fantastic, this is great. But I swear to God, when I got to London, by the time I got got a black cab from Heathrow to my shitty little backpacker hostel, I was halfway through the album and I went, forget it, no way. This just isn't the album I want to use to introduce in excess to Europe. Consequently, I had to keep the polygram on the hook by saying, we're coming, we're coming. We did some promotion and some shows to make them believe it was true. I never told them the album wasn't suitable, my theory is don't beat your head against a brick wall for nothing. Make sure there's a result. So we'd sold 250,000 records in America and had reasonable success. The brand was established with the one thing, going top 30, the video, the touring, the first box was ticked. But we had nothing in Europe. Hi, this is Katie from England. G'day, it's Paul from Sydney. Hi, this is Ella from the Netherlands. This is Dr. Jim and that's a wrap. Well, wasn't Richard Clapton a sweetheart, please? Oh, my goodness. Great story. I mean, I, I reckon he's got more. And I'm really glad that he's going to write another book in the 2000s onwards. Sounds great. Did he say he was going to write the book or was he a bit on the fence about it? 
No, I think he is, I reckon. Mm. And if he's listening to this, Richard, write the book. <laughs> but you know what? What's great about him, he's loyal to the band. He's not mm. there to sort of, you know, um, tell uh, stories, you know, post. He's, he's not like a, a politician. Who Although will, he wants to. Well, yeah, but, you know, he's not like a politician in all the meetings with his fellow brethren and then suddenly as soon as he's out of politics, mm. he'll spill the beans. Like he's, You feel like there's stories he'll take to the grave. Yes, unlike yeah. some people, hey? Correct. Now, uh, fan engagement, B, that's your wheelhouse. Can I add a fan engagement in? I think so. All right. Uh, I want to give a big shout-out, and I'll try to pronounce his name right, Barry Fedorovic. Hmm. Sounds like a good Croatian or Serbian name. I'm going to Sounds mention like both. Sounds like a tennis player. It does a little bit, actually. Uh, Barry Fedorovic, uh, which uh, he sent me a little message throughout the week saying, uh, listen to the podcast, going back to restudy the NXS catalogue, which to me I feel like it's a gift we can sort of almost through the band pass on to some of these fans who don't know a lot of the old material. So we really think you'll have a great time. I think I posted back saying, awesome, well worth the time, Barry, some great tracks there. Um, and he's been, a, I think, a, a regular on some of our platforms. So big shout-out to you, Barry, from uh, New Jersey, Joyzy. And I'd like to also give a big shout-out to my mates. I, I didn't tell you that I'm actually admin now for another um, Facebook pa- Facebook page called Australian Music. And yes. Rob Craig and Baza, you are awesome. So I want to give yep. you both a big shout-out. Absolutely. So, look, keep, keep posting, keep sending, keep engaged. You know, we, we do love hearing feedback and, look, anything we can do to help your experience uh, become a better one, uh, let us know. All right. Now, auctions, B, we had a bit of a bargain go off, didn't we? We think oh somebody my has, goodness. Somebody has uh, deservedly gone away with the, the bank and the second bank and the third bank and have picked up the bargain of all bargains. Do you want to share uh, who and how and what? Well, I'm really pleased that she got it. She has um, actually had a few of our items this is helen kirkwood she has been uh, an excess fan for lots and lots of years she was um, big friends with darren also i want to say hi to darren darren is hopefully coming onto the show soon have i told you about darren jones yet well i know darren darren from the he was my only gateway in 1998 to 2002 of knowing anything about the band i've had a lovely chat with him and I i think you and i need to go and spend a night at his pub yep. and because he's got stuff to show us and yep. um, talk to us, but he's going to come on the show. In fact, we should just go to him and we could do a is, show. Is he in the middle of Australia though? Is he like Aubrey Wodonga or something like yeah, that? Yeah, he's in the middle of Sydney and Melbourne, so we should go down and see okay. him. But, yeah, yep. awesome guy. And him and Helen were friends. Anyway, so Helen won the um, auction, so well done to Helen. Congratulations. All right, now. Going into next week, uh, we have a song deep dive, okay, B? Uh, and I will put it out there for the listeners and I will tell everybody the song deep dive is going to be shared later in the week. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> keep noticing, keep wait for, the, for the, uh, the blurb that comes out. It will be a great one. And okay. you know what? There are two song similarities at the start of this song and at the end that I don't think in excess ripped off at all. I just think that there's a similarity that we will share. So there's maybe a homage. We'll use that word as opposed to a lift. So uh, it is going to be a deep dive uh, next week on one of our songs. Can't wait. When we go out, we're going to give, uh, I guess, a bit of an honorary mention to uh, Richard Clapton, who has been such a sweetheart for us being on two episodes 
uh, being really, really supportive of what we're doing. Um, and we thought we'd just go out, tribute to him, a little bit of a medley of what we think are some of great songs. We will mention them what they all are next week, but uh, we can let you know at least you will hear Glory Road. You'll probably hear Capricorn Dancer. You'll probably hear Girls on the Avenue and two or three others. We'll break them all down next week when we come back. But enjoy this little six, seven song medley. B, you've got your hand up that you would like to say something. Yes, I do, <laughs> Hayden. Capricorn Dancer. Have you got your Murphy book by you? It is nearby. Okay, open it up. There's a picture of Murphy with his horse on the beach. Yes. And I was watching um, Capricorn Dancer, the video, and it just right. reminded me of that picture so much. And I just imagine Murphy listening and watching that video and, uh, and wanting to recreate yeah. it. And he did, you know, with the horses on the beach. And okay. it just reminded me of so much. So I'd well, love to go play out on that song for Murphy and Clapton and their relationship. Well, we can, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely add that in. Absolutely. Mm. Um, I think the, the thing is that Richard's such an evocative, if that's the word, lyricist. And, you know, these words like Capricorn, you know, in Australia, that's sort of one of those, the, the Tropic of Cap, Capricorn, yeah. you know, Girls mm. on the Avenue, mm. uh, Goodbye Tiger. I mean, he has this, you know, Glory Roads, you know, he has these great image conscious lyrics yeah. that do take you to a place. And that's a great skill as a singer-songwriter. Mm. So, um, without further ado, we will say uh, it's a goodbye from me. And a big happy birthday to Sue D. We hope you're having an absolute fantastic time. And it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye, everybody. Capricorn dancer. I'm riding to shelter. Show me a sign. Lead me on to the tropical zone. But don't you slip. Christy.